Thank you all for joining us this evening. My name is Leanne. Uh, we're here at the library. Uh, we have with us this evening uh, League of Women Voters, Anne Heckener. Uh, she's here with the League of Women Voters, which is a nonpartisan organization which distributes, as you can tell, the most sought-after um, voter information for every uh, election that we have. Um, so she's here to talk all about the issues that will be on the ballot. And we also have special guests Steve uh, Kyes and Lee Nathans here to talk about specifically uh, Bexley issue number 12, um, uh, which is about smooth streets. Um, so they will speak after Anne. And so we'll go ahead and get started. Thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Oh, and um, just as a disclaimer, we are recording um, this evening's event uh, just right up here. Just so you know, if you do ask a question, it will be recorded. All right. Thank you so much. My name is Ann Hankener. I'm with the League of Women Voters in Metropolitan Columbus, which actually covers Bexley and most of a lot of central Ohio. There's a Delaware League, so we don't have Delaware County, but we do have kind of the central Ohio area. We are a nonpartisan organization, so there's kind of two parts to the evening. I, I am the first part, and I will give you what I think is pretty much nonpartisan, non-biased information, um, and you will have somebody talking uh, here from Bexley about your Safe Streets initiative, they will be a, they will have a point of view on that, so their, their um, presentation is separate from mine, because I basically have no point of view other than voting is good and you should be educated to vote and do vote. Um, I want to talk to, about two things, basically how to vote and mechanically. And once you get to the polls and you're all ready to, to mark your ballot, that you uh, are voting in a way that is making sense to you. So you need to know where to find information about the issues so you can decide, and the candidates, so you can decide which side to vote for. Um, we have a, the League has a very, po these are popular, our second most popular publication during this season of the year. It's called Voting One, Two, Three. And I will, I don't know the best way to hand these out. Um, I'll have some more up here of the little cards. Um, but it basically tells you what you need to do to vote. First of all, you need to register. In Ohio, you need to register 30 days ahead of time, somewhere in Ohio. If you moved down here from Cleveland six months ago, you're good to go in a certain sense because you are, and you were registered up there. You're registered in the state of Ohio, so you can vote down here if you've moved. Now, you're going to probably have to vote a provisional ballot, but you can vote even though you've moved. But you need to be registered somewhere in the state of Ohio. So um, that deadline was October the 9th. It has come and gone. And we have a little voter here in training. That's good. Um, who is eligible? You need to be a U.S. citizen. You need to be at least 18 years of old of age on election day. A resident at least 30 days before the election. Um, not currently incarcerated for a felony. There's a lot of bad information about felons and their ability to vote. You cannot vote if you are incarcerated for a felony. If you are in jail awaiting time your trial, you can vote. Once you've gotten out and you've done your time, you're going to have to go back and register, but you can register and you can vote. Um, different states have different rules. So if somebody says, well, I'm from X state and this is how we do it, you're going, good. <laughs> it's not how Ohio does it. So 
Um, the only time a felon cannot vote is when they're actually incarcerated for that felony. Um, you cannot vote if you have been declared incompetent by a probate court. And you cannot, um, and there are also certain election um, violations that uh, you can lose your ability to vote, your right to vote in Ohio for, for violating some of the election laws. Um, and so now you have to decide, now you're registered, you're ready to go, and you've done all your reading, you know what you want to, who, who you want to vote for and what you want to vote for. Now, how, do, how are you going to vote? There's three ways of voting. You can vote at the polls the old-fashioned way on election day. Um, if that isn't going to work for you for some reason, there's no, it's a no-fault app. It's a, there, there are some no-fault ways of doing an absentee ballot. We used to have, you know, you had to have a reason to vote uh, early. You had to have a reason to vote a paper, an absentee ballot. Now you don't. No-fault absentee. So just uh, get a form. You can download it off of the Board of Elections website. You can get a, fo a form to apply for an absentee ballot. They will send it to you in the mail. Actually, I believe the Secretary of State has sent them to registered voters in the state of Ohio already. So if you watched your mail, I got mine a couple weeks ago. If you watched your mail, you may already have one. Um, if you turn in your request for an absentee ballot, they will send you your ballot. They will check that you're a registered voter and send you your ballot. Um, don't, if, if you change your mind and you've asked for an absentee ballot and you go, oh, I forgot to fill that out or I don't think I nailed it, and you're like, well, I'll just go down to the polls on election day. That's fine. Go. Go and vote. But because you have asked for an absentee ballot, they will not let you vote on the machines. They will make you do a provisional ballot. And basically what they're going to do is See, get the provisional ballot. They're checking the provisional ballots. They're going to see the reason you're voting a provisional ballot is because you asked for an absentee ballot and you were mailed an absentee ballot. Well, you can't vote twice. That's <laughs> a very bad plan. Um, so they will, and, and if you, you have not sent in your absentee ballot, the Board of Elections will check, make sure that that is correct. And once they figure out, yes, you did not send it in, then they will count your provisional ballot that you voted on election day. So just because you've asked for an absentee ballot and you lost it somewhere doesn't mean you've lost your vote. You've lost your right to cast a regular vote on election day, but you haven't lost your right to vote because you'll cast a provisional, they'll check it that you haven't voted um, your absentee ballot, and then they'll just count that other, um, then they'll count that ballot. Um, you can also do what I usually do. I often work the polls. My favorite way, I don't like to do, I just like the idea of voting in person. So I go down to the Board of Elections. It's now at 1700 Morse Road. It used to be the Coles up on Morse Road. And you can go in there and vote. You need, you need to know your, the last four digits of your Social Security number or your driver's license, just like you do on any absentee ballot. It's, classified as an in-person absentee. So it's, it's mechanically kind of like an absentee ballot as far as your identification is concerned. Um, but you can, you can do that also. The last two weeks before Election Day, it gets a little busy over there. So if you know who you're going to vote for, go right now. Get it done. Um, the, other, the, other good, the other reason, interesting reason to vote early is you get off of some of the calling lists. 
Just saying. Um, maybe you like the calls. I don't know. Some people do. Some people don't. Um, pass a few more of these around. I, just all this information, including the hours and everything, both um, up at Morris Road and Thank you. And yeah, just keep passing them around. Um, we have boxes and boxes of these, so take two, hand them out to your friends. They have all the really good information on them. When you, when you vote, you need ID. Um, the most common piece of ID is a current Ohio driver's license. Um, if you, the, the whole thing about your driver's license and your um, address, because basically we want to make sure that you are voting in the right place. And that's what the poll workers are trying to do, is ascertain what your address is. So you bring in your driver's license. When you move, you don't have to update your driver's license with your new address. It's legal. It's fine. So you can come into the polling place, and you can, you can um, vote with your driver's license, even though you've moved, as long as you have told the Board of Elections beforehand that you have moved and that your address is correct there. So you come in and you say, I, I live at 123 Main Street, even though my driver's license says I live at 789 Main Street. As long as, as, long as that matches up with what the Board of Elections has, because you've sent in your change of address form, then you're, you're good to go. It doesn't have to match. But for these other forms of IDs, we, we, we need, as a poll worker, I need to find out that you live where you say you live. So I need some evidence of that. Um, so you can have a current utility bill within the last year. Um, you can have a military ID with a photo on it. It doesn't have to have an address on it. You can have an unexpired government ID with your name, current address, and photo. Student ID is not accepted for that. Um, you can have um, a, 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 your bank statement, a pay stub, um, all of those things work. Usually people can come up with one of those items. Even when they've forgotten their driver's license at home, they can often rummage around in their car and find one of these documents. Otherwise, just run home and come back and, and uh, show, the, show them your, your, uh, your ID. Another thing you can do if, if for whatever reason you've forgotten your ID and you still want to vote, you can vote a provisional ballot and then go down to the Board of Elections within the next seven days, show them your, your proper ID, and they will then clear out that, that provisional ballot and make it into a regular ballot, and, and they will count that ballot. If you don't go down and you didn't show ID at the polls, even though you voted a provisional ballot, they will, probably won't count your ballot. So those, those are the crazy rules in Ohio. Yeah. Okay. I moved here two years ago from Florida. I have voted in the past elections. Mm -hmm. Here, I bring a utility bill and my uh, Florida ID card, and I've never had a problem. Right, and they're not taking, they're not really, I, I'm not sure the poll worker cares a whole lot about your Florida ID card. They do care about your utility bill. Right. And that's the thing that's letting you right. vote. Okay. Okay? Okay, um, let's see, what do we have in the back? We have um, the election dates. Um, if, you're, if you're mailing in your absentee ballot, get it postmarked by November 5th, have the correct postage on it. Um, 
election day. Polls open at 6.30. They go to 7.30 in the evening. Uh, your courteous and friendly poll workers will be there to help you. And there are the hours, um, the general vote, the hours where you can vote at Morse Road or right here in the Soul Gray area. Um, there are weekend hours. There's two sat the two Saturdays before Election Day. You can vote up on Morse Road. And you can also vote uh, on Sunday from 1 to 5, the Sunday right before the election. So there's some options to go up there and uh, vote on the weekend as well as during the week. Um, any questions about how mechanically how you vote? The different ways, we're good with that? OK. Now the, the harder part is how, who, to, what, who and what to vote for. Um, so some sources of information, the voter's guide. There's one statewide um, ballot issue. This has to do with um, reducing the penalties for crimes of obtaining, possessing, and using illegal drugs. There's some good arguments both for and against that. I have some sheets having just to do with issue one here. It's all the same information as in your voter's guide. Um, there's a, I went to a, a um, forum this afternoon by the Columbus Metropolitan Club. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more around the county if you want to know more about issue one. I think both sides are very um, in, intent on getting their message out, so there's going to be a lot of forums around if you just look for it, if you want more information on issue one. Yeah? Um, and if anyone has specific questions about issue one later, I'm a criminal defense attorney. I'm happy to talk to you about issue one. I'm somewhat well-versed in it. Excellent, because I'm not. <laughs> I mean, it, it, is, it is a hard issue, and I think unless you really understand how the criminal law works and how the court system works, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult just reading it to really kind of have a good understanding of what the impacts are. Um, the, there's any number of judges, and uh, there's just a whole lot of people going around trying to explain it to folks because it is a little difficult to understand. So thank you for that, for volunteering to do that. Um, the other thing that we will have throughout Franklin County is a Metro Parks levy. And that one, I believe, we already, a, a point, a seven mil, 75 mil levy is expiring, and they're replacing it with a 95 mil le levy. So the, the, the part of our property tax that goes to Metro Parks would go up a little bit if the Metro Parks levy were passed. Okay? It's, it's the amount of money per $100,000 valuation of your house, yada, yada, at all. If you want to have, if you, if, if, an interesting thing to do is go to the Franklin County Auditor's website and look at your piece of, look at your, look up your house. You can look it up by owner, you can look it up by address. Look up, look up your property and you can see what you're paying in property taxes, how it's all broken out to, to mental health, well the schools is the biggest one, mental health, aging, children's services, metro parks, there's the zoo. Um, there's a lot of different places that, that our, our tax dollars go, and uh, Franklin County's been pretty good in supporting their park levies, so um, the metro parks are putting on another levy. Um, some good places to find information. Um, the candidates all have websites. The candidates are doing debates. Candidates aren't real hard to find information about, except for the judges. I think they're a little harder. And I go to, um, there's, 
a pamphlet on how to select on how to vote for how we select our judges. We select it by election. Other states do it by merit selection. There's other ways of doing it. Ohio happens to do it by elections. So that puts a lot of, of uh, responsibility on voters to check check their judges out. Um, it's a pamphlet that explains what the different judges do. Uh, this is the year where we do the common pleas judges, domestic relations. Um, we do the appellate courts. They have six-year terms, so we don't get all of them, but we get some of them. Um, so um, those are very important races. I, uh, the Columbus Bar Association has um, a um, ranking of the candidates of highly recommended, recommended, not recommended. I think there's just they're kind of big categories and a bipartisan uh, group of folks from the Bar Association does those. There's also a preference poll from the attorneys about who they think uh, they would like to see on the bench. And I think that's not out yet, but it's going to be coming out within the next week or so. So one place I go is the Columbus Bar Association's website and see what they have to say about the different candidates. Uh, again, you, there are going to be the Franklin County Consortium on Good Government. If you Google that, they have a lot of forums where the judges will come and you can ask them questions and see them in person and see how you feel about them. So I think those are some good sources of information. Anybody else have some place they particularly like to go for information about judges? You're a lawyer, how do you figure it out? <laughs> uh, um, to be completely honest, I unless I'm familiar with the judges who are running or I have colleagues who are, I generally don't vote mm -hmm. for judges that I'm not familiar with just because I don't think I have a good basis for making the determination. Yeah. It's judges. It's a little. It's a little harder because you're not really looking at policy issues where you can match up your policy goals with their policy goals, uh, because they don't make law. They don't make policy. They administer the law, and it's it's an entirely different job than than uh, you know somebody. Well, I like your position on the environment, or I like your position on whatever. Um, judges judges are another. They're they're another kettle of fish. And that's why we have kind of a brochure explaining a little bit more about the that third branch of government, which has its own um, difficulties as far as electing uh, their their um, our judges, because we we need to work a little harder as voters, I think, to make sure that the judiciary is properly staffed. And uh, you know, we've chosen to do that job for ourselves, and so we, we need to do the work to figure out who the who the best judges are. Yeah, any other questions? Any, any questions? I'm not sure we've even had any. Everybody knows? Can we have the pamphlet? Can you have the pamphlet? You can. Yeah. It's a very big building. They used to have their the voting machines in one location and all their staff in another location. And this building was big enough to allow them uh, to put everything in one building. So 
Um, and it's a, a really nice big voting space, and they always have plenty of machines up. And if you if, on a presidential year, if you vote the week or so beforehand, that, that that's that's when the news you know the news is out there. Channel four, six, and ten are out there looking at the lines that are going around the block. But if you vote now, it's going to be seventeen hundred Morse Road. It used to be a Coles department store. It used to be kind of across from across from where where Northland used to be. Okay, it's, and it's a big parking lot in front, and right now, you can, the other way to identify it very easily, it's all the signs are up. <laughs> There's just, 100 feet out from the doors, there's just signs everywhere. So that's, the, the, you'll, when you see all the signs, you'll know you're in the right place. Okay? Yeah, question? When the on I don't know, but they are. They will televise it, and I also understand um, that you can go to their website and you can you can do a little video. You know how you click on it, and then, then ooh, there, there it is on your laptop. Sometimes you can do that. When I don't, I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure when it when it's on the that that local public access channel. Yeah. yeah. What would the website be? To Columbus Metropolitan Club. Columbus Metropolitan. Yeah, and they I don't know. It was just at lunch today. I don't know when they're going to get it put up. But um, Chief Justice O'Connor was there. Um, there was an academic. A judge and a state rep there, and there were two people on each side of the argument, and so they gave a lot of. There was a lot of good information about it. Um, so yeah, so that's one 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 place to find information. I, I'm sure there's going to be. If you watch the papers, I'm sure there's going to be more um, uh, places to see that. I think the uh, Franklin County Consortium on Good Government is going to do a forum on it. Franklin County Consortium on Good Government. The league's a member of that. They are they put on the uh, candidates' nights in different areas and have some of the more local issues on there, too. So those are any any good sources of information that people use that they that I've not mentioned. You do have to do some work to vote. You do have to. So okay. My, my piece is done, and I will turn it over to the folks who are going to explain about um, issue 10, which is, or 12. 12. Issue 12, which is particular to Bexley, and I don't know a whole lot about it, so we have some experts here. And I'll, my, the handouts are still up here. If you need a few more VIBs or something for your friends, feel free to take those. And since this seems to be the distribution point for um, information, I'm going to put this over here as well. If you are the owner of a silver Dodge SUV, license plate HFC1369, the lights are on. Silver Dodge SUV in the parking lot, lights are on. Good evening. My name is Lee Nathans. I'm a Bexley resident. I've been here for... Um, 34 years, and um, 
One of the best things about living in, in Bexley is how our community has supported our infrastructure. We have continually been able to um, ask everyone to support needed services and needed causes. And um, we are in the process now of asking for your support for a street replacement levy which is on your ballot as issue 12. The background on uh, issue 12 is that as um, streets, sidewalks, curbs have been um, required to be replaced and to be maintained, um, the city has been able to accomplish that through the use of two existing levies. One levy was passed in 2002, and it um, generates approximately $844,000 a year dedicated for street maintenance. The city also has been using a um, levy, uh, general purpose levy from 1974 which produces about $300,000 in revenue for streets. That total is insufficient to maintain the streets in the condition that we all want them to be maintained. It's insufficient to replace the curbs, to replace the sidewalks, which the city is responsible for. So let me just develop that point in terms of sidewalk replacement. Many of you have had to replace um, panels on your sidewalks recently. Those are um, property owners' responsibilities. Up until 2009, um, the city replaced those sidewalk panels. At that time, legislation was passed um, to give every Bexley resident the, um, a, a free replacement or a replacement of panels without any additional charge. But the next sequence of replacing sidewalk panels was going to be the homeowner's responsibility. So the sidewalk element of this replacement levy is to replace the sidewalk panels that the city is responsible for. If there is a city tree which is growing too close to a sidewalk, that sidewalk panel would need to be replaced, and it would be done out of this street replacement levy funds. So essentially, what is this going to cost? The estimate is that it would be approximately $50 per $100,000 in property valuation. The levy will produce, it's a $3.5 million levy, and it would produce um, approximately $1.95 million per year for street maintenance. The levy is necessary because of the current cost of replacing street um, sidewalks, road services, curbs, and alleys runs about a million and a half dollars a year. So you can see with the two existing levies, 
only producing about a million wine, there's a shortfall in even keeping up to where we are today. So what that means is that the city, in order to keep the streets maintained, have had to borrow from the general fund to fill in that gap. With the replacement levy, which should generate approximately um, a million nine fifty-seven in revenue, by replacing those two levies and generating new funds, it's estimated that the city would be able to continue its street maintenance in the manner that it has for the next 10 to 15 years. So the allocation of resources for the funds that are generated will be distributed based on engineering studies. It will be distributed equally in North, Central, and South Bexley. As needed, streets will be repaired and replaced in surfaces. So, as I talk to my friends and neighbors about this, there have been people who have commented, well, what about Main Street? What about Broad Street? Why is the city asking us for more money when funds have been used to replace the services on Broad Street and Main Street? Well, the beautification projects were essentially funded by loans from the um, Ohio Public Works Association. And those funds were earmarked only for street beautification. And actually, the streets were widened as well to accommodate some of the parking spaces, the, um, the beautification project in the middle, and, um, and the additional curbing that was done. So the funds that were used were for that could only be used for that. It couldn't be used to resurface a neighborhood street. One of the things that I've been impressed with in my work with the city is that they've been so judicious in looking at additional sources of funds for certain purposes. The police department has received designated funding for certain uh, equipment needs that they've had. Same thing with the Recreation Department. And um, the city administration has been active in looking at designated grant funds for specific street improvement purposes. But those grant funds are not guaranteed. And there's no way of telling how much, fun, uh, how much of those funds would be available in the future. So essentially, what Issue 12 is doing is asking the community to continue its support for well-maintained streets and infrastructure at a cost now that would provide for the additional revenue for the next 10 to 15 years. I think it, when you consider the alternative of not replacing um, the, the street service and the schedule that we have, and continuing to borrow from general funds uh, revenue to be able to um, keep pace with the additional costs. I mean, even if you look at what things cost you in 2002, you can imagine now what 
you know, asphalt costs, petroleum costs, labor costs, all of the contractors that um, are involved in that, those costs have been increased. And what we're trying to do is lay a solid foundation for um, the infrastructure in Bexley uh, for the next 10 to 15 years. So for that reason, um, we're asking you to support issue 12 on November 6th. And uh, I have some additional summary material that you can, um, you can look at. Um, the um, footnote, I should get back on, on the auditor's website because that's where um, many of you would be going to. The auditor's website estimates what the increase in value would be for your property. And that's replacing the 2002 levy. But there's an asterisk at the bottom because they can't account for the replacement of the 1974 general operating level. I know it gets a little confusing, but the general operating levy from 1974, which produces about $300,000 a year, would be, um, would be waived by the city as soon as this passes. So I have some material there. I would invite you to visit the website on www.vexleyissue12.com or any um, additional information that you might desire. And I'm happy um, to answer some questions. I'm joined this evening by uh, Councilman Steve Kyes and also would recognize Councilman Tim Madison back in the corner. Yes, please. I have a question. Streets, alleys, and sidewalks are very definitive. What is included in, in other similar conditions? You had referred earlier to the beautification, which I think that refers to the, the um, the dividers. You can, let's, for general purposes, call them the dividers. So those those funds were specifically earmarked for just those particular projects. Well, I, I I'm not sure in terms of the operating cost because my understanding is that the um, the component of the uh, of the grant called for the uh, initial initial installation, resurfacing, expanding of the streets. Well, there are places that have bricks or concrete dividers, but these have plants and lights, and et cetera, et cetera. But what all is considered or included in other similar conditions? Well, that's an excellent question. I'm not sure that I can address the yeah, that's very yeah, ambiguous. That's a great question. So the the special, uh, you know, the landscaping and the median improvements that we saw on Broad Street and also Main Street, as Lee was explaining, those were special projects and all the plantings and so forth. Those were specially earmarked. Those kinds of landscaping, planting, et cetera, et cetera that were special projects for there would not be covered by this levy. This levy is, as it says, streets, alleys, resurfacing, sidewalks. Other similar improvements have to do with things like, you know, the, the sewer grates that go into the street that have to get embedded into the curb, and then the flashing that connects those in a secure and attractive fashion to the curb. That's something that's in addition to a street and that's in addition to a 
curb in addition to an alley, but is part of the overall structure. But it's not fancy things like lighting, it's not fancy things like plants and shrubbery and so forth. Does that make sense? Yes. The three there are three that are beyond Preston. Is that Bexley or is that Columbus on Broad Street? Going east of, uh, sorry, going west of Preston, that's not Bexley. But they look very similar and they have vegetation like the previous ones. Well, as part of that overall project, I mean, the funding did allow us to bridge into, technically into the Columbus city line so that there was continuity of where it needed to be. But all the funding that came in included state funding that covered that. So it was not necessarily just Bexley funds that put the Moravians in Columbus? Yeah, as Lee was saying, I mean, we got, um, we got special state okay. funding in the form of both grants and some loans to cover all of that. Question about further converse in terms of, is there anything earmarked for like traffic calming initiatives in terms of, that, let's say, the, you're, you're repairing um, the, the curb cuts or anything? those types of things for improving the neighborhood through traffic calming, or is it just structural what's there existing? Well, curbs are included in um, the elements of the, of the levy that would be um, considered for replacement. So if there were um, a demonstrated need for a specific type of curbing that might have a desirable effect, that could certainly be considered. So then how would that then proceed? That would have to be brought up to council to decide, or how does that well, so in, in other words, if there was, if as part of a street replacement or repairing, there's a genuine need that services from residents or, or traffic studies or the engineering analysis that's done and identifies that a curb needs to be cut at a different spot or needs to be closed here and open up here, that curb work, the replacement of those curbs would be covered by this levy. So. Is that a response? Okay, that's good, good questions. Yes, sir. Do you happen to know what the borrowed amount of monies from the general fund, what, uh, what that amount is currently? Um, what I'm looking at it this year, the statistics that the city provided at approximately $300,000. Right. To make up the difference between what the cost has been and what the funds of the the levies that will be replaced are generating. That's for this year? That's for this year. So, in past years, is there accumulation there? I'm not is sure that, that I have that um, information of the accumulation, we, but the, the idea has been that the, um, that the streets have had to be maintained. So the city has been able to um, to do that through the two levies that are going to be replaced as well as borrowing from the um, from the general fund, and um, you know taking advantage of all the grant funds that have been available. Okay. Yes. What is the portion of the driveway between the sidewalk and the street considered curb, or the property owner's sidewalk responsibility part of that? Like that's that's the homeowner's responsibility. You're talking about the apron? Yeah, that's the Yeah, the apron is the homeowner's responsibility. I can tell you that because I had to have mine replaced during 2009. Right. But good clarification. Thank you. 
This does include um, Broad Street and Main Street, even though there isn't that ODOT control thing, or does it include that, or just the residential it, it would include all the streets within the footprint of Bexley. I mean, the good news about Main Street and Broad Street is those were very recently done, right? So we wouldn't expect to have to redo those in any significant way over this time period. But if there were patches or a crack that opened up that was clearly needed to be fixed immediately, this general levy would, would cover that kind of basic use. Again, for the limited purpose of the street and the servicing itself, not something fancy. And it's the same thing for uh, any major infrastructure repairs that have had to be done. The city's had to um, repair the streets over those. That's uh, a city responsibility. Right. Okay. Yes? What kind of debt regarding the highway? I know there are loans and grants from the Ohio Public Works um, Commission. And a certain amount of that is paid, but what's the outstanding debt? And will some of this new millage be used to pay or increase the outstanding debt? Yes, I think that's a, that's a very fair question. So many of the projects that the city has had to acquire funds from other sources have been done on zero interest loans. And so the portion of those loans have to be replayed, repaid. So the portion of the funds that will be generated by the levy is approximately $160,000 a year to be paying down those zero um, interest loans. Are there other sources of money to pay down the debt? I mean, to continue to go into debt is not a responsible fiduciary use of the money. Well, I, I I can I can certainly I can I can certainly understand that, and I think um, not being an elected official, um, I can speak from my perspective on that, which is that again maintaining the streets and the portion is has been a, a priority, and so the city has been able to use other sources of funds to sort of bridge the gap between what's generated now. And what's generated, and what the the needs have been. With this levy, um, we'll have the chance to satisfy um, those the debts are according to the amortization schedule, and have sufficient funds to replace the um, the infrastructure into the the next ten to fifteen year cycle. I, absolutely, and your your question is right on. And in looking at the process of uh, certifying this for to go on the ballot, which City Council recommended unanimously. We looked at a whole bunch of different funding options, one of which was to take on more debt for the city. And we felt very strongly as a council, as did the mayor and his team, that we did not want to take on more debt in order to keep uh, the cities at the level they need to be. So that's why to us, the you know, extending the levy in the way it's proposed was the way to go. So I agree with you. That more debt yeah, is not worth it. But I'm not going to take any more time for it right now. Well, I mean, I, there is a bar chart of the, uh, some of the handouts, and yes. I haven't looked at it real closely, but there's a consistent increment over the next 10 years. Well, that doesn't mean that the, the need and or the cost 
are going to be at that constant increment for the next 10 years. So if it's higher or low, it might balance over the long time. But I'm just concerned with the cost, $50 per hundred on top of the existing levies for streets, sidewalks, and no, well, that, that, that's that, I think that's a, I'm, I'm glad that you addressed that because that's the, the point now is that this replacement levy is going to replace the 2002 levy and the 1974 levy. So those levies will not be assessed, but the new 3.5 mil levy will be assessed. So those levies go away, and we generate new revenue to be able to keep up with the cost trend. So the bar um, chart that, um, that is being referred to is on our website. And it's a projection from, I believe, the city engineer in terms of what the cost of replacing the infrastructure would be through 2028, so the but next 10 years. What's going to happen five years from now, seven years, or 10 years from now? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's any guarantee for the future. But what I am saying is that these are reasonable projections based on an engineering study. And as you can see from 16 years ago, when the 2002 levy was placed on the ballot and approved, it has not kept pace with the cost of repairing the streets and the sidewalks and the alleys. So that's why we're at this particular point in time asking for the community support to, um, to pass this levy. Do you have a question? Uh, no, I think it was answered. Thank you. Okay. Other questions? And was that just a waiver? Uh, okay. <laughs> well, um, I invite you to take the materials that we have here and to um, consider this for, uh, for your uh, support. If, um, as many of your neighbors have uh, displayed a sign in support of it, um, we can make those available to you. We're happy to do that. And um, I'm happy to stick around, answer any questions that you might have, look at the material, visit the website, and vote for issue 12. Thank you. You're wrapped. It's a wrap. Any questions? We have an issue one. A person who can talk about issue one and answer questions about that? Yeah. Does anybody have a question of him? No. Okay. And are, are, are you pro or con or? I personally am pro, but there are arguments on both sides, and I'm happy to address whichever parts interest people. Okay, just public. Just, yeah, just, just in full fair, disclosure. Fair disclosure so you know here. So, excuse me, issue one changes the way that uh, lower level drug offenses are dealt with. And it takes the unusual approach of doing it through a change to the Ohio Constitution as opposed to just a change to the statutory law, which is one of the complaints with this particular method. The change basically takes lower level felony drug offenses, felony fours and fives, which are the lower two tiers in the felony system, and takes possession, use, uh, tools related to it, like crack pipes, essentially, 
things that people would use to administer drugs, needles and such, uh, and takes that down from the felony level to the misdemeanor level. Now that doesn't necessarily make a huge difference, but the really big piece of it is the first two times somebody is convicted of one of these use or lower level possession offenses, instead of being eligible for prison time or jail time, they are required to be placed on probation in a non-jailable way, and generally those people will be pushed into the treatment system. Uh, so it forces treatment, essentially for the first two times you come into contact with the criminal justice system for a use or possession sort of offense. It also makes one change that's to the side of that for basically all felons with a few exceptions, murders, uh, rapes, other serious offenses are excluded. But otherwise, basically all felons get some credit off their sentence for doing programming. So if you do a work program, if you do educational programming, if you do recovery services, if you have a drug or alcohol issue, you can get up to 25% off your time eventually for doing that continuously during the course of your sentence. And you get that sprinkled out a little piece at a time, I believe it's monthly, uh, until the completion of your sentence. So those are the two main changes. With that, there theoretically will be a cost savings to the prison system because there will be less of these lower level drug offenders going in. The state is required to study what that's going to look like, um, presumably every budget cycle, which is every two years for the state of Ohio. And they are to take that savings. 70% of it is to be invested in drug treatment for all these new people who will be going to treatment. The remaining 30% can go into other areas, victim services, prosecution services, other state areas where that's needed. But 70% of it will be recovery services, victims assistance, and uh, that sort of thing. And that's the main rundown of what issue one's going to look like. On the pro side, we have this opiate crisis. It's been very difficult to get a hold of, to get under control. There are a lot of people passing away and suffering serious impacts to themselves, their communities, their families. This is a different approach. So some people say our, our current approaches haven't been working. We need to try something new. This is certainly something new. Um, because judges vary so much across the states, there's not uniform treatment. So if you run into an issue with drug addiction in Franklin County, you might be treated very differently than the same person in Delaware County or Union County or Cuyahoga County. Uh, it varies quite a bit based on where you happen to be. This will regularize some of that by requiring people to use the probation system um, and drug treatment. Now, judges don't really love that because by taking away the threat of jail, um, there's a lot of concern on the bench that people who are in probation, they don't really have a hammer over them anymore. Uh, and if they don't really engage with treatment services, if they're just out in the throes of their addiction, uh, a lot of judges are afraid that they're not going to have the tools they need to help really get people involved in treatment and hopefully to get out of their addiction. Um, some state officials are also concerned that this will give a blueprint for people who are drug sellers so that they will know, well, as long as I carry this amount or less, I know that I will be charged with a possession offense instead of a trafficking offense. Um, and that is possible. I would suggest, though, that that's how it is now. Um, there's a different set of things you have to prove to prove trafficking versus possession. Generally, trafficking is if you sell something or you offer to sell it or you have things broken up into individual, basically, bags for resale. That's how you prove trafficking. Uh, possession is if you have a smaller amount, if you don't have things broken up, they don't actually catch you making a transaction. Um, that's when it usually goes down to a personal use. 
but people who have large amounts already would not be affected by this. So the kind of person where they might catch somebody with a brick of cocaine in their trunk, that's such a large amount, that's already going to be a third degree, second degree, or first degree felony amount. Those are not affected by this law. Drug trafficking is not affected by this constitutional change. So people with large amounts and people who are actually caught doing some of the things that constitute drug trafficking, they will not be affected by this one way or another. Another concern from the system is that it's going to take about two years after this goes into effect before the first state study where they figure out how much money is being saved and then therefore start pouring that money into the recovery system. During that two years, though, there's going to be a lot of people who are going into recovery under this new constitutional change, but the money won't necessarily be there for all the services yet because they won't have done the study yet. So the people who provide recovery services now are concerned that because there's no money up front, the money just comes out of the savings on the back end, that there's not going to be enough spots for people. There won't be enough spots and programs. There won't be enough beds and halfway houses. There won't be enough of what's needed for the newer, larger amount of people who are going to be entering the system. So that's another very legitimate concern about how this is going to look. Some legal scholars say you should do this through laws. This should be passed by the legislature, not as a constitutional amendment. It's a pretty good argument, and if the legislature was doing anything to address this, I think it would be fair. Um, there's a sentencing uh, commission that exists, and every 10 years or so, there's a, a look across the state at all criminal sentencing. It's, it includes prosecutors, judges, defense attorneys, recovery services, mental health, education for inmates and people coming out. They all get together, they look at the current laws, and they look at what needs to be changed. That just concluded about a year ago at this point. Their recommendations went to the legislature. Uh, those recommendations included reducing the level of drug offenses, the penalties for drug offenses for many different uh, types of drug offenses. The legislature has not acted on any of those because they're not politically interested in that. And in fact, they've actually gone the other way and increased the level of drug offenses for a number of things. So if I thought the legislature was interested in taking this up, I think that would be a better way to do it. But given the context in which we find ourselves, where the legislature is not willing to take even the recommendation of its own prosecutors, uh, it seems like perhaps another approach would be good. Whether this approach is the right one, ultimately you will have to decide for yourself.